Hi, folks. Steve Urban here. Today's episode of the Rutterflex podcast is sponsored by Marketing 360. My good friend J.B. Kellogg and his team do such a fantastic job for us and so many other companies. Marketing 360 is the number one platform for small business, and it's everything you need to grow your business. If you need marketing support, I really encourage you to contact them at marketing360.com slash writerflex, and we'll add that link to the description of this episode for easy reference. And on today's episode of the Riderflex podcast, we have guest Gabriel Glenn. He's the co-founder and CEO of Make You Safe. By the way, that's M-A-K-U-S-A-F-E, makeyousafe.com. It's an award-winning safety data and analytics solution aimed at improving worker health, safety, and productivity while reducing incidents and mitigating workplace hazards and risk exposures. Gabe Glenn on the RiderFlex podcast. I like that. I like how that sounds. Gabe Glenn. How you doing, Gabe? I'm doing well. How are you? That's a pretty cool name. Was that, did that do, do good for you in high school? Gabe you Glenn. know, uh, it was always Gabriel, right, on the, um, on the forms that the teachers got. So day one, I would get uh, Gabrielle Glenn and then a chorus of laughter. Um, so yeah, for, <laughs> for a long time, I hated it, but now I kind of embrace it either, either way, Gabe or Gabriel. So that's good. It's a good name. So where are you at today? I am in Ankeny, Iowa, which is a Northern suburb of Des Moines, uh, the capital okay. city of Iowa. And I'm in my basement and, uh, what looks like I'm sitting in an office with a nice office chair, uh, and artwork is actually, this is kind of a storage room slash um, weight room, uh, gym kind of set up on, on a table. And if I flip this around, you would see garage lights and like the trouble lights and stuff from a garage. So anyways, it's, uh, it works. <laughs> it's the so quietest it's, place in my house. <laughs> now we got, we're going to hear the uh, footsteps from the, from, from kids upstairs. How many kids you got, by the way? I got two, uh, okay. two boys, eight and five. And, um, yeah, there's a good, there's a good chance we'll hear some noise in the background. <laughs> I was, I was on a, um, I was on a call yesterday with a company and, uh, I had, there's probably like six or seven people on the call and, uh, the, they, they all come running down the stairs and they're running through the house and, and screaming and yelling and, and people were just kind of laughing about it. I think we're getting to a place now where yes. everybody's a little bit more humanized and, uh, and it's, and it's okay. It's, it's probably more frustrating for me than it is for the person on the other end. So, oh, I, I totally agree. It feels like that's loosening up. It, you know, the entire planet's living on Zoom or whatever tool they're using to do video conference. And you're right. It, it feels like people are like, hey, you know, it is what it is. Okay. Oh, my dog barked. You know, sorry. I'll put it on. I'll mute myself for a second. Yeah. Everybody just yeah. kind of, everybody just kind of rolls with it. Yeah. Or you get the cat, the cat tail that, you know, comes across the screen, <laughs> you know. Uh, I, the other morning I was in my kitchen and it was early, it was before the kids were up and I was on a, a zoom call with a couple of my investors. We have a, a bathroom right off the the kitchen and my eight year old comes downstairs where I, well, I'm on the zoom call in the middle of sharing an update with them and bathroom door open and everything and just, you know, go, going to town. And, uh, <laughs> they're just, they're both laughing. I go, yeah, I'm, I'm, I know you can hear that in the background. I go, that's, I, I that's pretty good pee this morning. That, so. That's pretty good. Oh, that's pretty good. Uh, well tell the listeners a, a little bit more about yourself. Maybe, you know, so where you grew up, maybe some early family life, uh, walk, walk us through some personal stuff before we get into the career and, and the business. 
Yeah, I'm an I'm an Iowan through and through. So I grew up in Eastern Iowa. Um, went to school um, at University of Northern Iowa and met my wife at the University of Northern Iowa. She was from Sioux City, Iowa. So really just kind of uh, all, all Iowa. And um, as I was growing up in Cedar Rapids, I've got uh, the, an older brother and an older sister and a younger okay. brother. And I had a father that worked full time as a machinist uh, working third shift uh, to make ends meet. And then my mom was a stay-at-home mom, but she she worked from home. And most of my childhood, she took care of, uh, of people with special needs. So we always oh. had even more people in our house, and these were people with special needs. So wow. um, just kind of had a really busy, busy household. Your mom was a very patient person then. <laughs> she, she was, especially with four kids uh, on top of what she was doing. So, yeah. Oof. Wow. Okay. Now, and where are you? Are you the are you in the middle? Are you the oldest? Are you the youngest? Or yeah, I'm kind of the middle child. So my my older sister is about a year older than me. My older brother's about two years older than than me. Um, he just turned forty this year, and then uh, my younger brother, um, he's he's like three, I think three years behind me. So okay, okay, and you? Yeah, I'm the peacemaker. You are. <laughs> that's what they call the middle child, right? The, the peacemaker. Uh, uh, oh, that's right. Okay. All right. And you're, you're, how long have you been married now? Uh, uh, 14 years. We just had our 14th anniversary in, in quarantine. So you did good on that pause, Gabe. You did good. I always love it when you <laughs> always love it when guys are like, Oh, I, sh I should know the answer to that. Like right away. <laughs> it was, it was an inauspicious one, right? Uh, we, we usually do something you know, the fun. And actually what we like to do is usually during that time, I'm out turkey hunting. And mm. when she married me, I told her, Hey, I've been, I've been turkey hunting with my dad since I was, you know, 12 years old. So, right. um, you know, she wanted to get married at this specific time. And I said, for the rest of our lives, that will likely be during turkey season. And so we, we have a camper that we take out and she gotcha. would come up and stay for the week and I'd go turkey hunting with my dad. And then we would um, take the kids to a, a small town pizzeria in a town called uh, El Cater, Iowa, really just tiny little town, but they've got a little main street with a handful of bars and a pizzeria. And so we usually celebrate uh, with a pizza and a pitcher of Bud Light. So, <laughs> I like it, man. I like it. I like it. Now, you met her in school. Was she uh, was she at at a party one night? And you're like, stand, like you see her like, oh, what's her name? How did it happen? How'd you meet her? So, it's, it's, it's actually kind of a fun story. Um, she was in a class of mine and I, I had a crush on her, but I was really shy. I wasn't very outgoing in college. And so I would come back and I would talk to my roommates and I would be like, man, there's this really cute girl in class. And, you know, I, I someday I'm going to ask her out. And, and I never, I never did. And um, a few months go by and my, my roommates uh, got set up on a blind date. And so he said, hey, I got uh, my blind dates coming. And, um, you know, if I'm getting ready or whatever, just let her in. And so a little while later, knock at the door, I open the door and it's her. Oh, man. And it's this, oh. it's this girl oh. that I've been talking about. And oh. she looks at me and she goes, Tim, that was my roommate. And I go, I go, no, no, I'm, I'm Gabe. And she goes, oh, you're in one of my classes, aren't you? And I say, yeah, I am. And she's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I've, she goes, I've, I've seen you before. So she, she goes on the date with, with Tim and they shut the door and I turn around and my other two roommates are sitting on the couch and, and they go, no, no way. And I go, yeah. So they're like, all right, we're going we're gonna to take you out and have a good time, right? We're going to let you forget about all this. So uh, we went out, we had a good time doing what college people did. And yeah. um, anyways, when, when we got back to the apartment, 
she was on the couch with him watching Cheers, reruns of Cheers. Um, oh, which exciting date. <laughs> yeah, which uh, turns out, I find out later she's not a huge fan of Cheers. But uh, so anyways, then of course we proceed to, to, me and my other two roommates proceed to entertain her for the next, you know, hour with, you know, stupid things that we're doing in the kitchen and stuff and like that. And the vibe, and, and you're getting the, and the eye and the eyes and the look, yeah. and the, it's like you, there's something there. Okay. okay. Yeah. So then at the end of the night, she, uh, she told Tim she had a really great time, but asked if she could get my phone number because <laughs> apparently she had a crush on me, um, as well. And sweet, so it sweet. was just... It was just meant to be. So thank you, Tim, for being you, the Tim. thing that brought, you know, my wife thank and I you, together. And, and here we are 14 years of marriage later. And that night was the last night you ever talked to Tim. <laughs> he wasn't super happy, but it was a first date. So, you know. Oh, it's pretty good. That's a good one. Great story, man. Great yeah. story. I appreciate you sharing that. It was meant that. to be. Meant to be, I guess. So when you were coming out of college, did you did you know what you wanted to be? Did you have a plan or were you just kind of like, I, I don't know, man, I'm just having a good time. When I get out of school, I'll figure it out. Talk to me about that. I, I had the coolest job in college. I really did. I okay. worked for Target and my job was to catch shoplifters. And so oh. I would come in in jeans and a t-shirt and I'd grab a pair of handcuffs and we had... In our office, we had a handcuff bench uh, to, to detain people. And in Iowa, you can physically and, and, and lawfully detain people. For Still? Students. Today? T today? Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, in wow. fact, some states, uh, some of the stores actually have holding cells in them, which is kind of crazy, you know, <laughs> That's in, in more of the wild. dangerous areas. But uh, wow. Okay. So, uh, yeah, in college, it was me and a buddy of mine who's now, he's a, he's a SWAT officer for the city of Des Moines now. But he and I used to go out and, and uh, you know, have some beers and then, you know, get up early the next morning, go into work and get all set up. And we'd spend the day catching shoplifters. And then, <laughs> cool. you know, it was, it was cool. just a really fun job. So I thought um, I wanted to kind of continue that path and kind of move up the chain in loss okay. prevention. And I did that for about five years with Target before okay. um, I decided that I wanted to, to get out of the retail world and the corporate world and, and find something else to do. So did you know what you wanted to do? <clears throat> Didn't, um, you know, my first business was actually an idea that my dad had. So I think at the time I was 20, I think I was 23, 24, okay. Okay. 20, 24, 25, somewhere in there. And my, my dad's, uh, we were out camping one time and he goes, you know, when I was your age, I had an idea for a business. And I was like, all right, yeah, all right, whatever, lay it on me, dad, what do you got? <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, I always thought it would be interesting to go out and inventory all of the, the personal possessions that somebody has in their house. So if they ever had to make a loss claim with their insurance, they would have photos and they would have a record of everything that they, that they owned. Okay. And I had the same exact look that you did, right? I just saw that look on your face and you're like, hmm, actually, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, right? That's not, interesting. Not bad. not bad. And I told my dad, I said, that's it. I go, I, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to do that. And he's like, he goes, yeah, right. And I go, no, no, I'm serious. I said, I think that's a really good idea. I'm going to, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to, I'm going to try try to do that. And now he was not an entrepreneur at the time, right? He was, he had the same job for a long time. Yeah. He'd been, yeah. He, he never ended up doing his own business. He, he was a machinist for um, more than 20 years and then he became a safety manager for about the last uh, 20 years. So for that, for for him to hear you say, yeah, I'm going to quit my job and do a startup. <laughs> he's like, what? Hold on a second. I was yeah. just kidding. Just yeah, kidding. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was still young and, you know, I kind of figured whatever he'll, you know, he'll get, you know, bored of that or whatever. But uh, no, so I did. I, um, this was, I think like May. Yeah, it would have been because I remember we watched the Derby 
um, okay. on, on the TV in his camper while we were up there fishing. And okay. so that would have been what, April, I think, or early May. Yeah. Something and like then, that. uh, yeah, in June, uh, I started the company and I, I quit. So it was, yeah, probably six weeks later. What was, was that company called? Asset Protection Specialist. Asset Protection Specialist. Okay. And you started it probably didn't take a lot of startup capital, right? Not probably not really. What was it like? You put up a website and you had a camera with a notepad and you're like, hey, I'll come into your house and take pictures and write it down. <laughs> I, I made every mistake in the book when it came to starting your first business. I mean, I I spent so much money on just stupid. I took out a yellow page ad. That's that's how I'm now granted this is 2000 yeah right right uh whatever 2007 2008 okay. right okay. yeah but um yeah i mean i i went out and i bought all this office furniture for my home office and you know all of the stuff that you know i, I probably didn't need what i should have done is just you know get a notepad and go buy a camera or just use the you know digital camera i had but um so i put myself in a hole right away oh did you put this put this stuff on credit cards or you had some savings uh, no, I took out my 401k. <laughs> I, took oh. the 10, I took the 10% hit, took out a four, my 401k. Now, right. the the very fortunate part of this, if you remember, you know, 2000, what happened in 2008, right? Right, And yes. so my 10% hit actually was a like a 35% net gain, you know, because everybody took a, a massive see. hit on their I stock see. portfolios wow. and their 401ks. And I had just pulled mine out. And wow, so I, I did, okay. <laughs> it worked out a little bit okay. Uh, yes. Um, yes. But, uh, uh, yeah. Between that and then, yeah, I ran, ran up some nice credit card debt on things too. <laughs> and then you built that business. How long did you have it and what happened? Yeah. So I built it for a, a few years. Um, we actually got to a place, uh, I say we, one of my um, college instructors uh, helped me kind of get the business off the ground and we cool. created kind of a turnkey um, uh like DBA business, right? That we could also license other people in other states to do, which we were able to do in a couple of different places. So we had a few uh, nice. asset protection specialists, you know, companies out there. Um, and then um, uh, it was probably 2010, um, there was a news story that, that went um, on the local news here about our business. And uh, this gentleman reached out to me and said, hey, I do um, fire restoration and damage restoration flood and all that kind of stuff so when there when there is a loss he said my company's the one that goes in and you know does all the construction to rebuild it and he said i've been looking for another like value added service that i could add to my portfolio and he goes you guys are kind of on the front end of things and then if something bad happens and, and we're there he goes it just makes sense for me to have have all of it so he bought the business from me and i think it was 2011 2012 um Congratulations! So. Congratulations! Your first, your first so-called exit, right? Uh, <laughs> it, all right. It was. It was, and it was. It was maybe just just enough to pay off the credit card debt. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you, why you walked away with a bunch of uh, experience? Probably learned a ton. Got your debt paid off. Built and sold a small company. Great experience for you. I mean, that taught you probably a ton, right? Okay. So when that happened, so now you walk away free, free and clear on debt. Were you thinking, what am I going to do now? Or did you already have a plan? I already had kind of something in the works because okay. at that time, like 2009, 2010, social media was uh, just coming onto the scene. Okay. Uh, Twitter 
was brand new. Facebook had just come out of being, if you remember in the early days, you had to have a college, you know, uh, email address to have a, a Facebook account. Uh, right. So it was for college right. students only. Right. So they, they just right. kind of opened it up to the world. Um, and at that time, there was really no, there was no privacy protections or privacy on what you say in your account. Yeah. And I had kind of hacked together a little piece of, of web software that would listen to for for things being said based on keywords um, and I was using that for marketing asset protection so if if somebody said they bought a new house I see. Um, or things like that and they and they lived it and you could geocode it so you could say hey within 50 miles of Des Moines if somebody says quote bought a new house or quote new house um, you know, send that to my inbox. I want to see that. You taught, you, you taught yourself how to do all this. You just like, I'm going to, yeah, it was just some really easy. I mean, there was some easy, like, you know, web query stuff out there and I just created a feed, you know, at the time it was like an RSS feed and just okay. had that shoot me an email. And so, um, I started, you know, and then I would just reach out to the person and I'd say, Hey, you know, when you move, if, if you'd consider this, it, it, that's a really good time. You know, you're never going to have a cleaner house and you're never going to have all your stuff more perfectly laid out. And, um, and I was able to get a lot of business that way. Nice. And, uh, the, one of the local papers that had interviewed me about asset protection business, um, I was, I had run into him in a coffee shop and I was telling him about this feed burner thing. And so anyways, he, he did an, an article on what I was doing with that. And, um, my phone started blowing up from companies, real estate companies, car dealerships, um, financial firms. I mean, you name it, like all kinds of businesses here in Des Moines, um, started blowing up my phone and said, Hey, what would it cost for us to be able to have a query set up so that we can have, you know, these things come to, to our inbox. And, uh, there you so go. Bingo. Yeah. That's my new business. <laughs> exactly. So in six weeks, I passed three years worth of inventory sales um, in six weeks. And I had to hire a couple of people to, to come on and help start setting these things up and running these queries. Um, what were you, and what were you calling that company? That company was called Ed Stringo, which is Latin for to bring together. Um, which by the way, if you, if you name a company, a Latin name or, or any name, that's really confusing. Um, it, it, it becomes really hard for people to understand what you do. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that, 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 there's, there's the tip for the listeners right there. It's a good it, tip it, right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was trendy at the time was using Latin. Now I think, what is it like adding L Y to everything now is like kind of the, you know, the, the, the trend. I see. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that, that was your second business. So it wasn't really planned. It just kind of happened right there. You're like, okay, well, I'm doing, I'm going to do this now. And you, um, you didn't really have to, I guess you just bootstrapped it, right? You didn't have to raise any cash. Didn't require a lot of capital. Okay. No, it was just, it was just a little bit of programming time was what it took. Um, which All was right. Nice. All right. And uh, okay. What happened to that company? Let me guess. You sold it for an successful exit. Go ahead. <laughs> It, it kind of. I, so there was a couple of guys that owned a web development shop where these guys were doing um, you know, websites and, and web applications. And also back in the early days of Facebook, if you remember, if you had a business page, you could actually customize it and do a lot. You could create your own applications within it where people could interact with your Facebook page. Um, they've, they've gotten away from all that kind of stuff. But in the early days, these two guys were doing a lot of that, that kind of stuff. And they had a nice little lifestyle web business. Um, and a lot of my customers, you know, were, were asking, Hey, can you do a, a website for me too? Or can you do anything, you know, deeper with, with uh, social media sites? And so 
uh, I was sending those guys a ton of business and their customers were saying, hey, is there anything you can do to help me get more customers, you know, through all this newfangled social media stuff? And so pretty soon we started working together uh, like almost every day. We were together in each other's offices and, and collaborating on projects. And so one day um, doing what good entrepreneurs do, we went out and had a beer together and we said, hey, what does this thing look like if we just mash it together? Um, and that, and that company was called slash web studios, um, okay. which was a much cooler brand than at Stringo and much love easier that. to explain. Yeah. Absolutely. Love so, the name. The name, the name's very cool. And was that the, was that the URL by the way, slash web studios? Yeah, it was, yeah. Slash web studios and, very um, cool. had cool. the, had a, had a big, you know, uh, forward slash in, in the, in the logo. Um, so we, we decided to smash these things together and I had a vision for growing the company and turning it from a lifestyle business into, you know, more of a, um, you know, a larger operation, um, with, with employees and, and things like that. And so, um, you know, shortly after we mashed it together though, the interesting thing happened was, um, the social media, um, stuff just kind of exploded and pretty soon everybody coming out of college, um, started their own social media marketing company. And so at one point we were the only people in town doing it. And within probably 12 to 18 months, there was like a hundred businesses that were social media businesses. So um, we decided to jettison that side of the business and just outsource that to other people. And this was like 2000, I want to say 2012. Okay. And um, uh, the iPhone was recently out. Mobile mobile phones, smartphones were were just really kind of starting to get major adoption, and so we hired a couple of guys that were really good at mobile web development and decided, hey, this is going to be the future. Everything's going to go mobile. Websites are going to go mobile. Uh, companies are going to want their own applications, um, and it was a really good bet for us. We ended up uh, growing the company pretty rapidly and hired about fifteen people. Um, really? Year. So really? Yeah. Okay. And uh, what was the biggest year in revenue for that company? Um, at the end, we were doing uh, we were doing between about a million, million and a half in annual revenue. So, I mean, not bad from a lifestyle business to right. to that. And and we did that growth in probably about twenty four months, which was was pretty cool. Very so, cool. So you you were a co founder and like you had you had headed up marketing, I guess there or whatever they called you, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was at the time. I was the, the chief marketing officer. Um, <laughs> well, when it's that small, you kind of do whatever you need to do, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Whatever hat you need to put on that day. So. And did you guys sell it or you closed it? Walk me through the the transition there. Yes. Yeah, so that one we sold. Um, we sold that um, to a company in 2015 that was a larger software, uh, custom software company. Okay. Um, they were here in Des Moines. Um, we had, had known about them, um, and knew a lot of the people there. The neat thing about, especially that time in, in, um, in business was, uh, there was enough work for everybody. I mean, we were at capacity and we were turning projects down and just about everybody in town was kind of in the same boat. And so if the, the other thing that was challenging was finding web development talent, you know, that was one of the most sought after skills at the time. Mm. So if you wanted to grow, you were either going to have to acquire uh, or be acquired. And mm. it, it just so happened that um, you know, we were in a good position to be picked up by this company. And um, it, it made a lot of sense for what we wanted to do from a, from a growth strategy too for our customers. So now at that, when that happened, was that a little bit bigger payout than the first time you sold the company? Did you mm -hmm. actually make a little, make a little money on this one? 
It, I did. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a good deal for uh, for everybody involved. I mean, it was a good deal for uh, our customers, for employees, for me and the business partner. It was also a good deal for the company that was buying us. I mean, we had some milestones we needed to hit. We were bringing um, you know a good chunk of business, recurring business over uh, to that company, and uh, culturally, it was a it was a fantastic fit. I mean, they were a, they were a lot of fun. Um, their guys like to do just crazy projects like sending a weather balloon up into space with a camera on it and, you know, shooting the curvature of the edge of the earth and tracking it with ham radio. Um, that was a weekend hack, hack project for them. Very cool. <laughs> so very, very you know, th cool. things like that. It just culturally, it was a really good fit and, and they were really good people. So now, same thing though. Now you find yourself in a, in a situation where you're, you're thinking, okay, that was great. Learned a bunch, did another, you know, went through another transaction tons of learning pieces in there, but you're right back to, Hmm, what do I do now? <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was a little different of a, you know, I, I had in the past, everything kind of just weaved its way into the other one. And this one was kind of a, a, a I don't know, just a moment of revelation that where I thrive is in the creation of, of, of things. Right. Okay. And I really loved the company that we that we sold to and the people, um, and I got to work on some really fun uh, marketing projects and things like that. But I was kind of missing that um, the thrill of of the challenge of bringing something from the ground up. Um, you mean uh, you mean the entrepreneurial bug, the the bug that, that's that's in the gut and it just kind of it's in there, it's just in there all the time. <laughs> it is, it, 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 yeah. And it, anybody that's had kids will. T it, I kind of liken it to having a child, right? You 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 have the first child and you go through that like year of like all of the, you know, zero sleep and all of the crying and the bottles and the diapers and the, yeah. you go, man, you know, you're a couple months in and you're like, we're never going to do that again. Like we're not going to be that crazy. And then, you know, like a year goes by and you're like, you know, well, maybe, maybe we should do that. You know, maybe we should have another kid. And then when you have it, you go, Oh, that's right. That that's why, you know, we, we said we'd never do that again. Cause it, you know, it's hard and it's, it's lack very, of sleep and it's very draining. Yes. All of it. Very similar. Wow. Yeah. Great yeah. comparison for sure. So, oh, so yeah, that's kind of what happened was I forgot, you know, just the, um, <laughs> just the challenge of, of what it, you know, what it means to go start a new venture. So. And how did you come up with make you safe? Let's walk me into the, tra the, you know, this transition, um, how it started and, and kind of a nice overview of, you know, where it stands today. Give us the, give us the whole thing. Yeah, it, it is uh, totally different, right? Um, we, uh, so make you safe. We've, we've developed a piece of hardware technology. Uh, it's a wearable device. I got one here. So it's an arm armband. This, this piece of technology holds a lot of sensors in it. And I'll okay. talk a little bit about those, but it goes into, uh, an elastic armband that goes uh, on the upper arm of a, of a worker. Okay. And really where the idea came from was I, um, you know, my dad being a machinist for more than 20 years, I spent a lot of time around the uh, industrial environment. And uh, then he became a safety manager for about 20 years now. He's been a safety manager. And, uh, you know, just hearing the stories and the challenges and the things that they face, um, and that their workers face. Now he's responsible for, I think almost 2000 people now at his facility that he's responsible for making sure go home at the end of the day. Mm. And so as I would hear the stories of the things that they would have to do from a compliance and, and um, 
you know, OSHA compliance standpoint and safety, um, I started doing some research to find out like just, just how bad it is um, the problem of, of accidents and injuries and fatalities in workplaces. And in my research, uh, I was heartbroken to hear that more than a thousand people every single day lose their life in a workplace accident every day. Is, is that, is that globally worldwide? Global. Yep. About 500 people a minute are injured on the job. Now, obviously a range of injuries right now, those are serious injuries, but it's a lot. Um, Wow. And I felt like, you know, oftentimes accidents, um, there's precursors, right? There's leading indicators. There's things that are telling us that that this is going to happen. You know, there's the the crack that a hundred people trip over. And then the, the, the 101st person trips over it and they fall and they break their wrist or they fall and even worse, they hit their head and they get brain damage, right? Mm-hmm. And there, there was a hundred times telling you this, this is going to happen, right? And so the idea was if we could gather data um, on a variety of things, things like environmental conditions, you know, what's happening in the environment around the worker and human motion and things like that, could we do what meteorologists do today in that they can forecast risk, right? They forecast risk in the weather. When are, when are the, when's the weather going to be bad? And you probably remember when we were younger, right? That the tornado siren would go off and you'd look out your window and there's a freaking tornado right there, right? You get like yeah. a minute to get in your basement. It wasn't like all of this early warning stuff, but <laughs> because right. of data and machine learning and, and the science now, you know, it'll be Monday afternoon and the weatherman's like, hey, if you got plans on Friday afternoon, you know, watch out. It's, you know, we're expecting some bad weather, right? They're, they're mm-hmm. that far mm-hmm. out. And we said, why, why can't we do the same thing with, with worker risk, right? What are, the, what are these magic confluences of factors Great Great that uh, accelerate risk um, and accelerate fatigue in a worker and that fatigue leads to risk? And if we're gathering all of this data, we should be able to see the early inflection points where that heightened risk is starting to happen. And then we can intervene bef- before something happens. How are you, how are you thinking about this over time? Like what, why you're on a jog, why you're having coffee? How, how long does it take you to develop this in your head? This, this vision is this, I'm, I'm guessing this is not overnight. I'm guessing this is conversations with your dad and your, you know, talk, that whole piece. How much time did this take? Yeah, it, um, it it was a couple of months, you know, first it was just kind of forming this hypothesis and then it was getting validation. And what's interesting is I, I can't remember if it was like a, a Tim Ferriss book or something like that. Uh, well, you know, one of those I read along the line that said, if you want to validate an idea, you know, share an idea with a few trusted people and see if they share it, see, see if they talk about it. Um, because if, if they're excited about it, then you might have something. Then, then, yeah. And they're excited enough to share that with somebody else. And so I shared it with a few, um, few folks that I knew in manufacturing. And then pretty soon I get an email from somebody else that says, you know, Hey, I own a, I own a factory, um, here in, in, in Northeast Iowa. If this is something that you put together, let me know. I'm interested in it. Boom. There you go. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, wow, you know, we're, on, we're definitely onto something. Um, so this is early, you know, 2016. I had left the software company in the, in the fall of 2015. So I was there for about a year um, while we transitioned people. Um, and so it was just a really, uh, it was a really good time for me to, to explore something. 
And my co-founder who helped me start the company was somebody, um, his name's Mark Frederick, a wonderful guy, but it was somebody I'd only known for like six months. I, I had no lifetime. We weren't friends from childhood or anything like that. I met him doing a weekend hackathon um, on, on um, IoT stuff. Okay. And I just found him to be like a wonderful human being and somebody that was fascinating um, and brilliant and just absolutely brilliant in the way that he understood technology and approached things. And having zero hardware background myself, right? Like right. I've never created a physical product, right? Um, everything I've done is just, you know, pecking on a keyboard. So I called up Mark and, and I said, hey, there's a problem in this world that I think data can solve or make a huge impact on. Do you want to hear me out? And he's like, yeah, sure. So we had a beer and I shared with him the research. And, uh, and he said, Gabe, I, I love it. He goes, I, I'm not going to leave my career. <laughs> yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. He's like, I'm not going to quit my job yet, but yeah, this sounds cool. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so that's how I, excuse me, that's how I brought, brought him along um, okay. to be able okay. to kind of join the journey. So. And, and then, so did it take capital? Did you have to raise cash or no to, to, to get it started? Or did you just bootstrap it with your own cash? In the beginning, we pay, paid with our own uh, cash to get it started. And okay. thank goodness that I was so ignorant about what this whole process would take to get a hardware physical product company off the ground. Because I'll be honest with you, right? I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a risk taker, but um, most of us are also calculated risk takers, right? Like we sit down and we map out like the, the pros and the cons or what skills you have or what you don't have and where the gaps are. And I, if I would have known, you know, that it was going to take $10 million in venture capital, that it oh. was going to take an international supply chain, that we had, to, we would have to set up a manufacturing operation in Penang, Malaysia, um, that we would have to operate with a team of people uh, across the country virtually, you know, all of these things, uh, patenting a product and all of these things that we've had to accomplish over the last four years, yeah. I would have laid out this list and I would have been like, there's no, I'm, I'm. <laughs> far from the right person to do this, right? I have the passion, I have the drive, I love this idea, I think we can help people, but I don't have the skills uh, to do it. So I'm really very fortunate that I didn't do that kind of uh, knowledge-based calculation, so. And now the other two companies too, you never had to really raise cash, you never had to deal with VC, so this would be your first experience, you know, going to people saying, hey man, I need you to write me, write me a check. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think the, the first checks were, kind of easy because it was a little bit of that friends and family round, right? It was people okay. that I knew, people that um, one gentleman owns a couple of factories, one here in Iowa, one in Italy. And he just, you know, he understood what we were doing. And he, he said, hey, if you need some cash, I can, I can help you out with this. And um, so again, like the, the first ones, and it wasn't a lot of money, the first round of capital we raised was $100,000, um, which okay. I, to me, a hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money, but when you're talking in the, in the scheme of capital raising, right. People right, look right. at that and they go, that's, that's cute. Good job. You know? So, <laughs> um, but getting that first hundred thousand dollars, I remember meeting up with Mark and of course, Mark's still working full, full time. Um, and, and I, you guys I are like, yeah, 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 yes. Yeah. Somebody, oh yeah. We're high five. Somebody, be somebody believes in us. We got a hundred thousand dollar investment. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, uh, and we were uh, off to the races and we were, we were, we were so really good. stoked. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just, um, you know, the capital raising side of things was just uh, a whole new fascinating 
uh, thing to learn. How much, how much have you had to raise to date? If you, can you share that or no? Yeah, we've raised about $10 million now uh, okay. to date. So, okay. Um, are you and your co-founder are still, uh, are you guys still in control? Did you have to give up control yet? Uh, what, what's that look like? <laughs> uh, you always give up a little something, right? When you, yeah, when you bring yeah. people I mean, on. If, and if somebody's giving you $10 million, they're going to want something. <laughs> exactly. It's been good though. Um, you know, we've, we've raised it incrementally, right? And so we've been able to achieve some milestones that get our investors uh, encouraged and excited okay. Okay, about great. our progress, right? So, um, you know, one thing about hardware is there's a lot of capital investment up front before you can even really make money, right? I mean, you're talking yeah. a half million dollars in tooling, you're talking just the R&D and the engineering and the trial and error. And um, so there's, it takes a lot of faith. And I think the, the reason we were able to raise capital is because people really believe in our mission. You know, what we're trying to do is we want to make sure that guys like my dad go home to their family at the end of the day. And too many people don't. Uh, we lose one a week here in Iowa in a workplace I mean, accident. So, I mean, the math, the math you gave me earlier is 360,000 deaths a year. Yeah, more uh, than a million people have died since we started this project, right? <sighs> And wow, wow, wow. Really so it, it, it's not only does it save lives, which is the most important part, but <clears throat> it protects the companies from lawsuits and lost downtime and all kinds of stuff, right? I, I mean, it's probably, yeah. I don't know, well, it's never an easy sell, right? Nothing's an easy sell. But when you're pitching this, they're probably thinking, wow, okay, this, uh, this is, sounds like a great investment. Walk us through the bit, the business model. Um, so if I'm a factory owner, what, what's the, what's your business model? Are you selling them? Is it by user? Is it by device? Do they pay a monthly fee for it to be monitored? If you don't mind sharing the, the model. No, not at all. You know, the, the hardware gets all the attention cause that's the sexy and cool thing, but really our, our magic is, um, you know, the software platform that crunches all the numbers and looks at everything and provides, you know, actionable, um, actionable steps for safety and operations people to take when, when we identify trends. So um, we, the, the hardware is the least part of the, the solution. So we just sell it as a solution as a service or system as a service, if you will. So there's okay. the, the data side of it. We've got a data platform to serve up just, you know, raw data, data through APIs. We have, what we call make you smart, um, which uh, just a little funny side note, um, make you safe, right? M-A-K-U, uh -huh. um, actually Maku, M-A-K-U is Hawaiian for risk. So we, we put a line over the A and pronounce it make you safe, giving the A the, the long sound, but um, it's actually kind of a play on words of, of Maku, trying to reduce risk, right? So gotcha. our, our backend platform, make you smart, that does all the number crunching and stuff um, also is a tool for uh, folks like my father to be able to manage their day-to-day -day activities, identifying hazards, documenting the remediation, um, you know, filling out accident forms, um, you know, things like that. Just all of their day-to-day -day safety management happens within our portal. And we charge $22 per month uh, per device. So de depending on how many devices, um, and, and these things have uh, a 30 plus hour battery life. So in, in some uh, situations, we're actually running two back-to-back 10-hour -back shifts. Um, so covering two people back-to-back -back on, a, on a single device. So, 200, so 250 bucks a year per worker or something like that. Am I yeah, it's, math right? Uh, yeah, 
right around there. I mean, right around there. Yeah. Okay. And and again, that's if if you're only covering one worker per device. Um, a lot of places, especially the bigger facilities that we're in, they they run you know multiple shifts. They'll run two tens. Okay. Okay. Um, with a four hour break. And so a lot of times we'll cover two workers back to back for that. I mean, that so. sounds reasonable. If you're telling me that it's only 250 baht, 250 bucks roughly per person a year, I, I mean, and it can save me, I'm sure you have all kinds of things in your sales pitch showing them the risk and how much they can save. Yeah, that sounds very reasonable. Is this all protected, patented? I mean, who's your competition? How do you deal with all that? Yeah, we uh, got our patent issued, and we've actually just recently filed some some new stuff. And um, you know, interestingly, you know, COVID presented some really interesting challenges to us. Um, mm. In that, mm. you know, um, so we track. Yeah, I mentioned we're you know we track a lot of things: environmental conditions, you know, light, sound, air quality, temperature, air pressure a lot of things about the environment immediately around the worker, right? Because if you and I are in a factory and we're working three feet apart, but I'm on one side of a machine and you're on the other, your environment's probably totally different than mine, right? Okay. And so that's the okay. importance of gathering this data from on the worker is we, we need that granularity. Um, we track human motion, right? So we can detect slips, trips, falls, uh, repetitive motions, things like that. Um, we can track, uh, there's a button on the front so they can talk into the device so they can report something they see. Could be a safety risk, could be a quality issue, right? So this is a tool to communicate. And then lastly, we track location. And so um, we're picking up location um, where things are happening. We want to know where things are happening in the facility, right? So that's why the location side of it's important. Well, when, um, when COVID-19 hit, um, some of the customers that we were working with uh, said, you know, one of the things that they were looking for is we need to know, you know, we're doing contract tracing, you know, one of our workers got sick and now we're doing interviews on who they've been working with. You know, do you guys have anything that could help us with these interviews or can we digitize these interviews or, and we, we thought about it. We thought, you know what, we, we already know who they've been around because we know where they were. I see. And we know who else was in that area with them because we have all this location data. We persist all that location data. So we said, hey, you know, um, let's create a query where we can say, hey, Gabe, Gabe just got diagnosed. I want to look back over the last two weeks and see all the people that he was around. Interesting. And all of that data was already there. It already existed. Wow. We didn't have to change this or do anything different. It was there. We're just applying that? it differently. Um, and same with, um, you know, as we talk about uh, social distancing and um, you know, people being around each other. And uh, we said, hey, look, we can also do uh, worker density mapping. We know all the, we have a schematic that? of the building. We know who's all in what areas. We can see okay. what areas have a higher concentration of workers um, that, that can help them then target, you know, hey, this area has a very high concentration of workers let's look at what social distancing practices we want to put in place or let's look at making sure we're cleaning these areas, you know, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe more so than we would anywhere else in the facility because this is where most of the people are. So wow. um, where it presented some challenges to us just logistically and getting our product out there into the world because we had a lot of factories that were closed or had no visitor vendor policies. It also opened up this huge opportunity for us to be able to say, Hey, when, when you're ready to get back to work, we're ready to help you get back to work safely 
by providing you this information that you're looking for. So, great, great, great job in pivoting uh, based on what you're up against and what's happening in the world. I mean, awesome, awesome job. Thank really. you. Yeah. Your, your, your vision around that is really, really great. Just, and by, I mean, you're a visionary, obviously. This is the third company you've started, I think, if I kept up with it. So <laughs> great job in that. Sure. Today, well, today, today uh, the company has how many employees? And then can you share with us? I know it's a private company, but give us some idea of how big it is revenue-wise or maybe I don't, what, what do you want to share there in, in company size? Yeah, so we're at about 14 people right now, um, but we actually have a handful of job offers that we put out this week. Uh, again, Great. with everything happening, we're in a really, we're just really blessed to be in a position where, you know, we're not cutting staff, we're not cutting back. Um, our investors provided us capital and said, go, go, go. Just, you know, Congrats. keep keep doing what you guys are doing. So, um, you know, we're excited to be hiring uh, data science onto our team, um, technical people, um, also, um, account management, right? So people that are, that are out there managing the relationships with the customers. So it's great to see all areas of our business growing. Congratulations. Um, Congratulations. Congratulations. That's really great news. By the way, did I mention RiderFlex is a recruiting firm? Now we can hey. talk, we can, we can talk about, we can <laughs> talk about go. that off, talk about that offline. I um, bet you guys are probably crazy busy right now too. You, you know, we are, we actually, we actually are. Yeah. We, uh, over the last 14 days, you know, like four new contracts came in. I, we were busier in the last two weeks than we were before COVID started. Um, and then, uh, this is the fourth year of the company. Is that right? It is. And, you know, you kind of asked about size and, and growth. And so, you know, really our, our goal for, um, 2020 has been, Hey, we want to service about a hundred deployments. Oh, okay. That's kind of our strategy. Um, okay. and okay. you know, it's interesting. We've got, we get customers in two ways. One, it turns out the insurance industry has a huge incentive to not have accidents, right? So we have insurance <laughs> companies that, that pay for our product uh, or subsidize the cost of our product I see. Um, for their customers, right? To, to help reduce the risk of losses. So that's about half of our customers. The other half are uh, very large, you know, Fortune 500 self-insured companies. Um, and those companies have, you know, tens of thousands or over 100,000 employees, right? And they're not going to buy a hundred thousand devices, you know, day one and roll it out company wide. What they're going to do, you know, Hey, we're going to put it in a few locations. Um, we're going to run it for a period of time. We're going to get some feedback from the employees, from the leadership, from, you know, from your organization. And then we're going to determine how uh, we could scale this. And if, if we could, and so we said, all right, with that in mind, let's focus on really doing about a hundred deployments. We can kind of be a little bit selective then on, on where we want to work and who we want to work with, mm. with the idea being that, um, you know, after that first year of, of deploying that and, and providing white glove treatment, we could try to scale with, with some of those customers and, and that would create a, you know, a huge opportunity for us. So kind of the crawl before, before you walk and walk before you run strategy. Um, but I would say, you know, that's changed a little bit again with, with COVID because some of the organizations have now said, look, we, we can't really take time to sit here and evaluate the importance of this or the payback of this. Our, our workers, want to come back to work we want to show that we value them we want to make it as safe as possible um, and we're getting the question how many could you scale to how many devices could you produce and how quickly can you produce them that's a great that's a great question to get as an entrepreneur is when a is when a potential <laughs> client calls and says how much can you do <laughs> yeah 
and then you exactly and then you and then you say as an entrepreneur you always say we can do whatever you want and then you hang up the phone and you call your co-founder and go how the hell are we going to do that <laughs> exactly it's that's the one thing you know uh, um you know i i can't take credit you know our team has just done such a good job of you know evolving the technology you know a lot of these ideas have come out of our our product team my co-founder and his team um, but we have some really incredibly uh, smart people at the table, not just uh, employees, but we have a very fantastic board of directors, some great Excellent. business leaders here from, from central Excellent. Iowa. Um, we have great investors. Um, some of them are for, former executives at, at Fortune 100 companies, right? We've just got a lot of people around the table um, that have helped um, provide us a lot of really good direction. And so there's not a lot of things that really scare us when we think about what our business could be and the challenges that we could face in trying to scale it, because we just have such a great support structure around us that we know we don't have to figure all that out on our own. So congratulations, my friends on everything you've built so far, really awesome story. I want to ask you just two more questions real quick. I know we're, we're almost out of time, by the way, for sure. the listen, for the listeners, it's make you That's M A K U safe s a f e so make you safe.com i know we're almost out of time a couple of quick questions here if you had to just give you know what what's your top piece of advice and i realize we could do an entire podcast on this but what's your top piece of advice for aspiring entrepreneurs what do you want to leave them with a sentence or two real quick i think uh it's about the people and the people that you hire uh, they're going to make your organization and they're going to make the success and they're going to look to you every single day for your mood, your temperament, and that's how they're going to operate. So if you come into work defeated or you come into work frustrated, uh, that's what your team's going to see and that's how your team's going to operate. And there's days where you got to walk up with the weight of the world on your shoulder, grab the door handle to walk in, take a deep breath, smile and walk through the door. And that's what they need to see. Very good advice. Uh, real quick, if you could call your 21-year-old self coming out of college, I'm guessing you're around 21 or so, coming out of college, if you could call back in time and tell that young man anything, what would you tell him real fast? Journal. Write it down. Oh, that's Keep a good track one. of it. It's that's easy to one. forget. And uh, I've done it now later in life, but you forget so much of the of the early days. And the uh, Steve Jobs said the journey is the reward, right? And if you don't keep the history of that, that journey, um, then the reward won't be as rich. So that's pretty good, buddy. Last question. If Gabe had to put his core purpose in life into a sentence, and I ask you to separate that from family just for a minute. So we'll call it your professional core purpose in life. What would that sound like? glorify God through the gifts and abilities that he's given me. Um, that's, that's my purpose. So. Well, you've been, Hey, you've been so successful already. I mean, congratulations on everything you've built, uh, including surrounding yourself with awesome people. Cause none of it happens without the right team. Just like you said, right. Um, congrats, my friend. Great story. Really inspirational. Um, I love earlier the, the, one of my best parts of your speech was, when you started this thing, when you started Make You Safe, you just went with it. You had no idea how much cash it was going to take. And you didn't have a perfect plan on paper. You just started moving forward, which I always tell aspiring entrepreneurs, just start moving forward and you'll pivot and figure it out. By the way, one last comment too. 
I want to compliment your dad, right? Because if it wasn't for that camping trip and that very first conversation, that very first conversation where he's like, Hey, I got this idea where you should inventory uh, things in people's homes. That's, <laughs> that started you on the entrepreneurial journey. And then he also was on the back end of it when you basically looked at this manufacturing thing and the safety, which is what your dad was involved with. So Bottom line is without a couple of camping trips with the dad, none of this might've happened just so you know. <laughs> no. And if, if I could leave you with one, one little interesting uh, tidbit here at the end, a uh, hundred years ago, last year, my great grandfather, John Griffin walked out of a factory to have dinner with my great grandmother uh, on his break. They were poor and they lived on the, the property of the facility. They rented a home there. He walked out of the factory, uh, Douglas Starchworks, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and the factory exploded and, and, and killed um, dozens oh and dozens of people. And wow. so he spent, he spent the next few weeks to, uh, unburying the, the bodies of his coworkers. And had he not left the factory, I, I wouldn't be talking to you today. So I was almost, I almost didn't exist because of an industrial accident. So it seems a little, right. a little uh, like full circle here. A so. definite, wow, that is interesting. And now here you are running a company that keeps people safe. Cool. Gabe, thank you so much for being on the Rider Flex podcast. Thank I really, you. really appreciate it, man. Great story. And I uh, look forward to uh, meeting you in person and we'll talk soon. Okay. Yeah, likewise. Hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. The Rider Flex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. Our show can be heard just about anywhere these days, but you can visit riderflex.com and click on the podcast page to hear all the previous episodes and learn more about the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Contact us at the email address info at riderflex.com or 888-964-5876. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoy our show, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes.